this is such a wonderful community to come and to just be a part of. I mean, I'm so grateful that I've been invited to come and share the Word of God with you all this morning. Um, but you guys have a great faith community. And the few times that Shannon and I have been here, and I think the last time was, did we bring our kiddos, didn't we? We brought our kiddos one of the times. But anyway, it's just, it's like, there's, there's life, there's affection, there's um, just genuine love for God. There's uh, a genuine love for each other. And so, um, for what that's worth, you know, I know you guys know you're led so well by this team of elders. And um, just to encourage you to continue to give all that you have, not just to this team of elders, but to one another, because in doing so, you're giving it unto God. And to find a faith community where not only are you being cared for, but where you can gather so freely, you're encouraged to worship the Lord Jesus in his splendor and in his beauty, and you're taught about his nature and character. You know, what more could you want and what more could you ask for? So to you all, I would just say props to you. You guys are doing such a great job as you're together uh, co-laboring with the Lord and growing Mercy Commons for the sake of Fullerton. So it's a blessing to be with you guys, and um, it really, truly is a privilege. So um, I have a tendency to, to wander and to chat long, so I'm going to try to just get into it and, uh, and, and get on with it. So um, I just want to say this morning as we start, I want to ask you guys a question. This is a very easy question. It's not a trick question. I want you to raise your hand by a show of hands if you agree with the statement that Jesus is better. Put your hand up if you think that Jesus is better. Keep them up there. Get them up there high. Jesus is better. Is he not? What, in, what a simple statement. You can put them down. What a simple statement that is. But, you know, it's the, the collectiveness of agreement in a, such a simple statement, but yet absolutely and utterly profound. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Listen, I came all this way today to tell you this. That Jesus is better. He's better than, than every way of his is better. Everything he does is better. Um, everything about his timing is better. What a wonderful thing it is to be those who are caught up and who serve the one who does everything better. All of his nature, all of his character um, is so far superior in what a hope we have as followers of Jesus Christ. Not that we will do everything better, but that he through us, and this is the key this morning as we get into Philippians, that he through us is having his better way, his better work according to his better time. So the message for us today is this, and, and we'll look at the text in Philippians. I've been asked to just continue in your series of remembering to forget. We'll look at the portion of text of Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 4.1, but before we do that, I just want to say a few things to you guys today by way of, of kind of laying um, a runway, and it's this, that his betterness is at the heart of the message that we as Christians carry. That's not a profound statement. You probably all know that and agree, would agree with that, as you have shown by hands uh, wholeheartedly, but to remind ourselves that the essence of the gospel message is just that. It's so simply. Sometimes we can overcomplicate what it is to know God. I mean, to know him is such an endless journey, right? So therefore, we're constantly challenged and stimulated. But as you guys go about your life, as we go to infiltrate and impact our cities with the gospel, just remembering and encouraging yourself in the simplicity of the fact that the answer and the hope that we carry is the betterness of Jesus Christ. And so the message for us today is this, that the gospel 
doesn't just change our lives. And this is what Paul is going to say in Philippians. That it isn't that the gospel just changes our lives, but the gospel exchanges our lives. And I know you've heard that statement before as well. But that is such an important distinction when we talk about how the gospel is better and how Jesus is better. Because it doesn't just change. He doesn't just spit shine and polish something that is dull and unlovely. He takes it and he exchanges it for something that is truer and something that is better. And that's such a hope that we have and that we carry. And it's important because the world doesn't just need another good idea that's promoting positive change in the right direction. How often do we hear that? Here's an idea for this. Here's a solution for that. What I'm saying is that the world doesn't need just another good idea. The world needs radical transformation. The gospel advancing through the kingdom of God into the hearts of men and women is a gospel of transformation. It's a gospel of exchanging. The world needs presentation and manifestation of something that is completely different. It needs the presentation and the manifestation of the gospel, right? This is the essence of the Christian life. It's been done for us, it's been done in us, that God took what was unlovely, that God took that which was shameful, that which was distant, and he made it lovely, and he made it worthy, and he brought us near. That's the message of the gospel, which I know that you know. But the question is this, and this is where I want to go today, is that why don't we always experience this exchangeness in its fullness? And I'm sure we could do a show of hands again on a daily basis. You're saying, yeah, that's true. Yes, I believe that. But man, why don't I experience the reality of this exchange life. The reality is, is that day to day we don't live in the truthfulness of that. And, and it's because we live in this, this inter-advental space, right? In between the first coming and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, he established his kingdom. And with his kingdom was a whole new way of living. And this is what the gospel spells out. The ways of the kingdom people. The distinctiveness of a kingdom people the ethics and the values, the things now that you and I, having been brought into the kingdom of God, would reflect and desire and live out. But we know, but we know that we are still waiting, that we are not yet perfected, that the kingdom, while, ha while it has come, has not been fully actualized. And so we live in this space in between where we wrestle between the new creation life that is true about us and the natural man. And it's a wrestle and it's a war. And the process of the Christian life is a process of sanctification and becoming Christ-like, right? You all would agree with me in this, hopefully. But this is the space that we now live within. And this is the space that Paul is encouraging the Philippian church within. This whole idea of the now and the not yet. That this is true, but it's not yet fully realized. And so therefore, because it's not yet fully realized, we're going to have to work and strain, and press, and lay hold of that which is true. And so we here today, each one of us, are engaged or ought to be engaged in the ongoing battle of straining forward, of taking a hold, 
of laying a hold of that which Christ has for us, that which is true about our nature, about who we are. This is the Christian life that we live within. And I want to say, too, just before we get into the text, which I promise I will open the Bible. It is open. I promise I will read from it today. There's nothing I dislike more than when somebody doesn't open the Word of God. But I want to say this. In this space of contending, in this space of, of, of where we are living inter-adventally, you guys know what I mean by that, right? Okay. You guys are a bright bunch. I, trust me, I know that. You guys get, you get a lot of good, solid teaching on the regular. We still, we deal with this age-old struggle of the lie that was from the very beginning in Genesis 3.1 of did God actually say? How we struggle every single day with that question in one form or another. Did God actually say that I'm changed and exchanged? Did God actually make me new? Did God actually set me free? Did God actually reconcile me unto himself? But I don't live that way. I don't experience it fully. This is my point in all this this morning, to say to you guys, encourage yourselves in this. Allow the Lord by his spirit to encourage you in this today. To grab a hold of the truthfulness, regardless of whether you experience it, on a daily basis or on a moment-by-moment -moment basis because it's what is true and this is the fight that we have all of our lives as we seek to follow Christ. And as you guys know, it's only going to get more and more difficult. And the question of, did God actually say that homosexuality is wrong, is a sin? Did God actually say, fill in the blank with whatever cultural moment you want a place in there. We have to contend for these spaces, and it's only going to get more and more contentious. So let's look at the text together. Philippians chapter 3. I'm thankful to just uh, fold right into what you guys are doing. It tells me Nick doesn't quite trust me enough yet, <laughs> but we're working on that in our friendship, aren't we, Nick? <laughs> he trusts Shannon. She's got, a, she's got a trusting face. Okay. Mm -hmm. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Not that I have already attained, obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I mean, this is one of those portions of text that you can and probably ought to just highlight and mark up and circle those words that strike you. There's so much force and intent in Paul's words here. Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only 
Let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, and this is the verse four one, or chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Lord God, we just receive from you today. Um, we put aside you know, our own thoughts, our own pretense, Lord, that we bring to this morning's worship. And Lord, we say that by your spirit, would you speak to us? Father, it is a work of your spirit within us. It's nothing that I am going to say, but it's what you will speak and what you will say to us that we desire to hear today. And so we thank you for your word, which is light into the darkness and which is direction into our path, Lord God. Be glorified in this church, we pray and transform us and change us for your glory and for the sake of the city. Amen. So as I said a second ago, it's utterly impossible to miss the forcefulness of Paul within this portion of text. Such a compelling portion, isn't it? Of just these words that Paul is using to describe his life. And I think just right out of the gate, I want to say this. I think we have to be careful not to look at a text like this and say, yeah, Paul, good for you. You do it, man. You do you, Paul. We're praying for you. We're over here and we're rooting you on. Because as we're going to see in a moment, Paul's very clear, join in imitating me. Right? So this is for us. So the same forcefulness that Paul is using to describe his Christian walk, his Christian life, is the same forcefulness that we too must exhibit in our attaining and taking hold and pressing on and straining. And I love how he just says, but the one thing I do, this single-mindedness, the single-focusedness that is the Christian life, the one thing I do, if nothing else, the one thing I do is I forget and I press on. I forget and I press on. There's a two-way imperative that is just that very thing that lies at the heart of this text of Philippians. The first is that we're to forget something, or today I want to just give us two things, very generally speaking to our life, but hugely important. Two things that Paul is telling us to forget. But then we know that there must be the object, there must be an aim of our trajectory. And so Paul's going to say, the second imperative in this is that forget this and attain this, or take a hold of this, or go after this. The one thing I do, if there's one thing that you can do today, you guys, it's this, forget what lies behind, and press on for that which lies ahead. What does Paul say just a few verses earlier that you guys probably looked at last week? I count all things 
as rubbish. I count them all as a loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus. Forgetting this one and pressing on. So I want to give us just two things here in, the, in this whole imperative of forgetting. The first is this, and this is what I'm drawing from Paul's words here in the sense of what is it that Paul is saying he's forgetting? And that's held in the verses just prior to this. But in generally speaking, it's this. Paul is saying, I'm forgetting all of who I used to be. Paul, the persecutor of the church, right? Paul, the one man whose main goal it was to bring down the Christian faith. Paul, the greatest of sinners. Paul, man, he was terrible, wasn't he? But he's saying, I'm forgetting that. I'm going to forget that. I'm going to put that behind me. And so the first thing today that I want to say to you guys that the Lord is telling you to forget is this. He's saying to forget your old identity. That's what Paul was saying in this portion of the text. Forget your old identity. You once were this, but now you are this. And remember, you are not just polished up and shiny. If you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are completely new. This is a truth of the Christian life that I don't think we could ever over speak of. That's not even a good way of saying it, is it? I'm not an English major. I'm just a pastor. We can't think too much on it. We can't dwell too much on it. This truth of new creation life, that we are new. You guys, if you hear nothing else today, please hear this, that you are new. The stuff that you brought up to the moment where the Lord Jesus Christ saved you, the things that we still sometimes reflect upon, the good and the bad, our previous glory and our previous shame, neither of those matter anymore. God's not interested in what you had to offer. We know that, right? He didn't want the good or the bad of you. He wanted to make you completely new. Because the newness of the kingdom, the space of the kingdom of God requires a whole new vessel, a whole new, what's the word? Conduit for his kingdom and his kingdom purposes. So Paul's saying, forget your former self. Forget your former identity before Christ. How you thought of yourself, your self-worth, your pride, your ability, the things that formed you and informed you, put those things behind you today. Forget them. And this is Paul's whole thing in 2 Corinthians, which we won't go to just because of time. But he says, behold, the old has passed. That phrase, the old has passed away, it literally means that it has perished. Not figuratively either. It's literally and experientially, experientially, listen to me. You can experience the new creation life now in this day and age. We are to experience New creation life now and in this time. The old has passed. The old ways, the old natures, the old desires, the old thoughts and behaviors, your old actions, your old priorities. You get the point. It's all gone. It's all perished, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. And if you want to get really practical, you can look at Colossians 3. And there Paul talks about the characteristics of the old man and the new man. And he lays it out very, very practically, which we won't go to today, but I would encourage you 
to take a look at what Paul has to say. He says, put these things off because they're earthly. Anger, malice, etc., 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 sexual immorality. And then he goes on to say just after that, put these on. And it's almost like this picture of this clothing of the new man. And these are the things that we are to put on. These are the characteristics that we're to put on and that we are to exhibit as those who are new creations. Are you guys following me? I'm I'm moving fast because I'm just like a couple pages in. And I have, you know, just like 10 minutes left. I want to say this too, just in light of this whole new creation life. In terms of forgetting the old. One of the things that we've been doing up at Capital City Church recently is uh, we've been studying through the book of Matthew through the lens of the kingdom of God. And recently we were just, I was trying to give some, some, some illustration of the kingdom and we were at the parables and, we've, and then we worked through to this whole, um, uh, um, Jesus saying that the, talking about the, the narrow road and the wide gate. And I had this picture and the picture was this, that we have Behind us, and this is this picture of the things that we try to bring in that, the, that God is telling us to forget. We have with us this cart, and I put this picture up, and it was one of those big, like, big horse-drawn carts, right? And this guy's sitting on top of just a heap of stuff, and it's hanging over the sides, and it's hanging, you know, and it's like it's barely hanging on there. And here's this guy, and he's sitting on top of him, and he's got the reins in his hand, right? And in front of him is this teeny little narrow path, and there's a narrow path that is in China, and I don't remember the name of it for the life of me. But it's, it's literally probably about this wine. And you can walk this road and it goes along this cliffside and then it even continues where the ground falls out beneath it and they've built it along that you can go around the face of the cliff. And it, this picture was this, is this is the road that we've been called to walk on as believers. But yet so often what we want to do is bring all this stuff with us that we love and that we hold on to that identifies us, that's made us who we are and we keep thinking like, how am I going to get this on this little teeny narrow path. You get the illustration. Paul's saying, no, you gotta forget it. You gotta leave it behind. You can't live as God has called you to live within his kingdom as your old self. The two are incompatible. The new kingdom of God and the old life that you once lived are incompatible. They're incongruent. It doesn't work that way. Instead, God wants you to take what is new that he's given to you to put it on and to live in such a way. There's a picture of this. For some, it's though we're standing at a gate. Picture a gate, like an old medieval gate almost. Right, a big, wide, broad gate, massive gate. You can't open yourself, and you're standing at this gate. And it's closed, and you've got your cart in tow with all your stuff. And it's full of all your old things that are your favorite things. And you're just waiting for someone to open the gate and come through. But what you don't realize is that directly beside you is a door. And the door is open. And all you have to do is walk through the door. And in fact, let me say this to take it one step further. It's almost as though you've already walked through the door. You saw all the beautiful things that are for you that God has created for you to live and to enjoy. Not temporal things, but blessings and inheritances that are from him as his children that he loves. And instead what you've decided to do is walk right back out that door and stand in front of the gate again and pick up your cart and wait for somebody to open the gate. 
what God is saying to us today is, come into my kingdom. Come into the dwelling place that I have created for you. Take up the things that are good, that are pleasurable, that have meaning, not the things that we know are just rotting and rusting and decaying and while might have temporary pleasure, ultimately don't have fulfillment in what God is doing. A second thing then that he is saying to leave behind, so the first is, is leave behind your old identity. Forget your old identity. And with that is your old life. The second thing is, is your old life. Because it's tied directly to your old identity. Your old life, it's the ways. It's the actions, right? Bad thinking creates bad behavior. Good thinking creates good behavior. So therefore, it's obvious that with leaving behind who we once were is also to leave behind with it the things that it valued, the ways, the actions that it exhibited. Far too long we cling to our past identifiers when the call of the Christian life is to remember that redemption through Christ Jesus is complete and to the uttermost, you guys. Hear what I'm saying, please. Redemption through Jesus Christ for you is complete and to the uttermost. And remember again, what is the lie that we constantly combat? Did God actually say that? Did God actually redeem all these things that I really am not proud of, that I would hope nobody would ever know that I did or engaged in? Did God actually, well, I really ever change? God doesn't just save the really offensive and stinky and depraved parts of our lives. He saves all of us. Because all of our life, listen, you guys, all of our life outside of Christ is an offense to him. That's the basis of it all. So therefore, God redeems all of who we are. And so he's saying today, leave behind your old identity, leave behind your old ways of living because something greater and truer. And here now is the opposite end of that twofold imperative. He's saying forget, and now he's saying this. The flip side is, of course, then, what is the new object? What is the new focus of our life? If it's not going to be here, then where is it going to be? And Paul is so clear with this, and he says, that I am pressing on to make it my own. What is the it? It's found all before that. That I may become like him in his death. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and to share in his sufferings. Ooh, did you guys teach that one last week? Yeah, we don't want that one, but you gotta take it. The call of discipleship is to lay down one thing and to pick up something else. And what does Jesus say in Matthew? He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, that's right, and take up his cross and follow me. It's laying down of one thing, denying yourself, laying down your old life, and take up your cross and now follow me. And now our aim and our object and our end goal is what Paul here calls the call of the upward prize of Christ. The call of the upward prize prize of Christ Jesus. The upward call of Christ is the believer's entrance. Listen, it's the believer's entrance into the race through salvation. That's the call of the upward call of Christ Jesus. The upward call of Christ was the irresistible call of grace 
on my life and on your life to believe by faith. It was certain, it was sure, and it was fully effective to bring us into the race that is the Christian life and to keep us in the race that is the Christian life. That's the call. That's the upward call of Christ Jesus. And what does he say? It's the prize that I'm now aiming for. The prize of the upward call, the prize of the race, as we know, it's the future glory that's promised to the Christian life. And Paul will say this in Romans 8, and we know the text so well, that those whom he, those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And then he goes on to say that those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. And as we won't teach this now, but the present tense or the past present tense of having glorification already having been done in the heart, mind, and plan of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's already a finished work. And this is what Paul is saying. I'm taking hold of something because it's already taken hold of me. The surety of Paul's race was the fact that the work had already been completed in the heart and in the plan of God. He's already been justified. Therefore, everything in between is just the hurdles, the obstacles, and for Paul, the joy and the pleasure of following the Lord Jesus Christ and should be for us here today. I hope you guys are hearing this. I hope you're not hearing me as much as you're hearing the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, everything, everything, you guys, everything I experience, everything you experience between these two advents is the working towards this ultimate goal of the prize of the upward call. Not just in broad terms, but specifically and intricately in your life. Every joy, every suffering, every glory, every shame, all of it is part of obtaining the prize in your life. Don't despise the sufferings. That's why Paul's saying that I might know the power and join him in his sufferings. Because all of it is God working out for you. What Paul would say in Corinthians is your eternal weight of glory. There's glory. There's not just this distant something kind of nebulous thing that Paul is trying to convince us to go towards. Paul's saying it's eternity. And the way that we know is because the Holy Spirit confirms that within our hearts. And we experience the power of the kingdom of God now in part. And we see healings. And we see people come to faith. And we engage our cities with mercy and with justice. And we extend the kingdom of God and we're bringing a glimpse of eternity, future to the present tense. This is the life of a believer. I'm telling you guys, the life that we live, if we, if I could fully grasp the profundity of it, how radical we would affect our cities. How radical we would affect our cities. You're different. You're not the same, but it's not because you're better, it's because Jesus is better in you. Not that I have already attained it, Paul says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. That's Paul's firm footing, that's your firm footing today. The one will happen because the latter has already happened in Christ. It's a foregone conclusion that Paul will obtain his outcome in his heart and mind. 
We press on, we look forward, we strain towards, we grab a hold of each and every moment that presents itself as an opportunity to get that much closer towards our final and ultimate goal. We don't despise the trials, we don't despise the difficulties, but we embrace them, we press through them together as with our partners, as with our friends, as within our own hearts, as David encouraged himself in the Lord, we have to encourage ourselves in the Lord as well. We press on, we continue, because all, all of it is working towards a final and ultimate goal. Even, listen, even if today it only feels like an inch, find that space that God wants you to press forward in in your life today. Find it. What does Paul say it's this, this trajectory of the Christian life is, is actively engaged. It's not passively observant. That's why I was saying all that forcefulness in Paul's terminology that he's using in it. It isn't to say that, man, like if you just sit back, it's going to happen. No, we've got to engage in it in our life. We have to engage in it with faith. And what does Paul say elsewhere? He says um, in, in 1 Corinthians 9, and I love this text, In 1 Corinthians 9, he says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. And this is it in in 1 Corinthians 9, 26. He says, So I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But this, I discipline my body, and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Here's this picture again from Paul. He's doing everything he can with every bit of effort and energy to continue on in this upward call of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even if it's just this little smidge of a bit, he's going to do it today. So our aim is just as Paul's. It's to have our eyes fixed. And often we draw upon that picture of Jesus. And I think, obviously, it wasn't for naught. It says that for the joy that was set before him, right? That he sets his eyes towards Calvary on earth. We, too, we fix our eyes on the ultimate prize. And yes, we strain. And yes, we have to give effort. But you guys today, listen to me, please. It's the power of the new creation life within you that enables you to live each and every day. It's a matter of faith, and you're not going to live it perfectly. That's okay, because that's where grace abounds all the more and more and more for you. It's a matter of faith. You get up in the morning, and you resolve today, this is what I'm going to do. But you know what? Sometimes grace is necessary in the afternoon, and it's necessary in the evening. And you can't just rely on yesterday's manna. You have to rely on today's grace that's for you in Christ Jesus. I'll wrap it up here. Paul says this so clearly in verse 15, as I said a moment ago. Let those of you who are mature think this way. If you're new in the faith today, if you're new in the faith, The promise is this, that by revelation, God will show this to you. You don't have to wonder, gosh, like I'm not, I don't feel like I've really experienced this. I don't feel like I understand this. 
It's for you today. By faith, take a hold of it in Christ Jesus. And for those of us who have followed the Lord for a while, this here is once again a call, a reminder for us to go after Christ Jesus. Be imitators of me, Paul would say. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Some versions say, follow me as I follow Christ. But the word there is imitate me. Do what I do. Be like me as I am like Christ Jesus. Look at the person next to you and just say this. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. We do it in community, don't we? And I'm telling you, it's kind of silly to do that, right? But at the same time, it feels a little bit different now, doesn't it? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Community, I'm almost there, sorry. I'll be, I'll be right there. I feel like the Grammys here. I just, but I still have a microphone. No, you can keep strumming, bro. You're good. Yeah, it is good. I promise I'm going to finish this. <laughs> Paul closes his letter with a comparison study. He says, those who continue in the upward call and those who have walked away from the call, those who have dropped out of the race and are actually now opponents to the race and its runners. And he gives two examples that we can use today, listen, as somewhat of a barometer for your own life, okay? Those who now run in opposition are characterized by two things in Paul's letter. Their God is their belly, and they glory in what is actually really their shame with a mindset on earthly things. Today, you guys, as you've sat here and listened to me and hopefully listened to the Lord Jesus Christ, do a little inventory. Where is your mindset? Is it set on earthly things? Is your glory really in your shame? And that's not to shame you. It's just to say that what it actually is is not glory in and of itself. Where are our minds set? Again, Paul says the runners of the upward call have their minds set not on earthly things, but on eternity, on the future hope of glory. Where is your mind set? Is it on the terrestrial or is it on the internal? Are you running in opposition or are you engaged with your eyes fixed squarely and resolutely on Jesus? We can tell where our minds are by looking where our priorities are. Where is your time spent? Where is your wallet placed? What are you doing with your children? Again, I'm not saying this to guilt you. I mean, I, I speak this to myself as well. Our minds set where our priorities lie. If it's terrestrial, let's ask the Lord today to help us by His grace, because He will. For others, I would say this. There's some who have been running well, but you feel perhaps hindered. You feel like maybe you're just taking inches rather than strides. Maybe you've not fully forgotten what, has lies, what lies behind you. Maybe you're still like that guy with your cart and you're trying to bring the old stuff with you. And God says, no, just leave it behind. See, the Lord today invites you to lay it down. Come into his kingdom. Come and enjoy the the. the the bountiful pleasure that awaits you in his kingdom. Listen, these aren't just 
out there Christian terms, you guys. It's peace. It's joy. It's thankfulness. It's overcoming. It's victory in Christ Jesus. These are the blessings that are for you and for me as his children, who again, what father doesn't love to give his children good things? So the Lord invites you today, leave that stuff behind. You know, you're running the race, but maybe you feel hindered. Lastly, maybe there's some who you're just not remembering very well. You let your gaze drift. You lost sight of the prize. You've been engaged in the race. You're feeling like, ah, I got to keep going here. But man, maybe you've just lost it, just ever so slightly. The call today is, man, lift your gaze again. Lift your gaze unto the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the fountain of grace. He's the fountainhead of peace and joy and mercy. By grace today, God wants to correct our running, impart grace to continue, and joy to endure, and faith to finish. May God compel us today by his grace. Amen.